0: Thank you, Josh. And thank you, Brighton, for that introduction (laughs) that you gave me. Um, I cherish our friendship. (laughs) Maybe we can go play pickleball later on, but (laughs) it's great to be here today, and we're just fooling around up here. But uh, if you will, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 1. I want to. talk talk a little about Georgia Baptist. I work for the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, and I have the privilege to work with Pastor Wellness. I'm a Pastor Wellness Catalyst and serve churches in East Central, Southeast Georgia. And uh, it's, it's a joy to work with pastors and their families. And your church is a church that gives generously the cooperative program and through that we train pastors, send missionaries. There are a lot of things that happen because you're involved in a cooperative program. But part of that is uh, that Georgia Baptist, uh, that we can do all kinds of things. There are, there are catalysts and, and consultants all over our state training people in evangelism, discipleship, that we're doing ministry through the state. And, and you are a part of that. You are that. Uh, because you are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission is to strengthen churches, that they might advance the gospel. And so that's why we exist, and and we are here to serve you, to serve your pastors, uh, to serve the churches. People ask me, what is pastor wellness? Well, we we serve in five different areas. We serve spiritually, relationally, vocationally, physically, and financially. On the spiritual side, we do uh, marriage retreats. Uh, we do. We offer counseling, scholarship counseling for uh, pastors and staff. Relationally, we have round tables and I, I have a lot of coffee and breakfast and, and lunch with pastors all throughout the week, and so I get to hear their heart. I'm texting and calling, just connecting with them. Vocationally, we, we do things called retool and recharge, where we help equip and empower pastors in their walk with God and and give them some training. And also physically, uh, we have health summits that we attach to our larger events so that if someone doesn't have the ability to go to a dentist, they can go to a dentist there. It's free of charge, and we do other medical services there. Not me personally, okay? Uh, that would be a bad thing, but, but there are skilled professionals that do that, and financially we are connected with, a, with GuideStone, which is really an insurance company as well as financial and retirement, so we try to help pastors on every level that we can, it's the heart. Of Thomas Hammond, our executive director, that that we would reach out and past and pastor pastors. And uh, I was a pastor for 25 years. My wife Sherry is here on the second row down here, and and we just love to be around pastors. We love your pastor, uh, Chris has been a true blessing, and connecting with him over the past two or three years has been a tremendous blessing. I've had the privilege to preach here and walk through your buildings and see all that God is doing through First Baptist Church Brunswick. This is an exciting place to be. And so I love to come and worship uh, here and to hear what God is doing. You know, we're in Daniel chapter 1, and I hope you've turned there. I'm going to be preaching from the ESV, the English Standard Version. I know you're used to New American Standard, but I generally teach out of the ESV, so I'll, I'll be teaching out of that. But let's, before we go to God's Word, let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Use it to transform our hearts Help us to settle in, to hear what you have to say through your word. Lord, it is our authority. And Lord, we ask that you would transform and change us by the power of your word. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 1, as I said, and we're really going to ask and answer the question, how can we stand firm in faithless times? If you've ever read the book of Daniel, it sounds a lot like our day, uh, because there are many things going on in our culture, we know about those things, and and we need to learn to stand firm. Wherever our circle of influence is, whether it's at school, at work, it may be in our neighborhood, wherever we are, we're going to be challenged to stand up for the convictions that we need to have in our life. And it was no different 2,600 years ago. If you've read the book of Daniel, you know it occurs in Babylon. And so we're going to talk about the context, and then we're going to share uh, some principles to help you understand and me understand how we can stand firm in faithless times. You know, Israel had been through decades of disobedience, and God kept sending prophets. He would send plagues. He would send economic recessions. He would send pandemics in order to get their attention. But wave after wave after wave, Israel's kings, Judah's kings, and the people refused to repent. They were involved in immorality and idolatry, and there was an invisible line out there that they crossed, and then God began His judgment. Now His judgment was a little bit unique. The way he judged them is he had a conquering nation, Babylon, come in and conquer them. And then he relocated a lot of them, especially a group of young men that we'll talk about in just a minute. I want you to read verses 1 and 2 with me. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And so here we find that, that the nation of Israel's is conquered, and, and this, this king and his leaders went so far as to take things out of the temple. I guess they saw them as good luck charms and bring them into their own temple so that they could have all of these different conquered nations, religious articles there, not knowing that all of this belonged to the king of the universe, the God that we love, Yahweh Jehovah God. And so here we find Babylon doing something dangerous to them, but it really was a shame to Israel because of the judgment that they had incurred by God. Now Babylon was a corrupt nation. It was a pagan nation. And there was stark immorality in their nation. And one of the things that they did, because they did value the fact that other nations had intelligent people, good leaders, they would take the best and the brightest young men from every nation, bring them into their school, and they would train them for three years in Babylonian culture and Babylonian ways. And then they would set these young men up in their government so that they might have success as a nation. It wasn't a bad idea, but it was an idea that was going to affect four young men very personally. I want you to look at verses 3-5, through it says, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and the nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace and teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans." That's the Babylonians. "...the king assigned to them a daily portion of the food that the king ate." In other words, it came from the king's table, from the king's chefs, "...and of the wine that he drank. And they were educated there for three years, and at the end of the time they were to stand before the king. So these chosen few got an Ivy League education, opulent dorm rooms, and and meals from royal chefs. I mean, these guys were rock stars. They were scholarship recipients. They were the best of the best, the cream of the crop, and they were going to receive the education that everybody in that nation coveted. So these world-class scholars would be collected together from all these different nations. They would learn the language of Babylon. They would understand more about the culture, and they would be able to lead. Now I want us to read verse 6 to see these four young men's names. We all know these names. It says, among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. Now we don't know those last three, but those are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's how you know them. So these four young men in the Scripture are singled out as representative of Jewish young men that were in that that school that were going to be trained in these ways. And so they were away from home, and and they could have chosen to make some bad decisions, but they chose to make very good decisions. Look at verse—we've read verse 6, and we'll read verse 7 in a minute, but what we see in verse 6 is that these young men with these Jewish names had an identity, and we'll see what the world was trying to do to that identity in just a minute. What I'm so proud of as I look at these young men is I think of the culture and the the environment that they were in, the kind of education they were receiving, the kind of peer pressure that they probably had and they chose not to cave. They did learn what they needed to learn in order to have places of advancement so that they could have a witness in the Babylonian culture but at the same time they kept their identity and they expressed a characteristic that we all admire, but not many possess. And that characteristic is courage. Now courage is something that that we admire. I I love history. I love watching, especially World War II history, especially as as you watch uh, FDR and especially Winston Churchill and how they responded. Uh, to the Nazis and to to the forces that were coming against, I believe, good and it was evil against good when we see that. I love to see the courage in other people who go against the odds in order to do the right thing. Let's define what courage is. Courage is overcoming fear to do what's right in the face of danger and difficulty. NOW THERE ARE OTHER DEFINITIONS OF COURAGE. MARK Twain SAID, COURAGE IS NOT THE ABSENCE OF FEAR, BUT THE MASTERY OF IT. IN OTHER WORDS, WE ALL FEAR, BUT WHAT ARE WE GOING TO DO WITH THAT FEAR? WE NEED TO MASTER THAT FEAR. WINSTON CHURCHILL SAID, SUCCESS IS NOT FINAL, FAILURE IS NOT FATAL, IT IS THE COURAGE TO CONTINUE THAT COUNTS. I THINK MY FAVORITE IS JOHN WAYNE. COURAGE IS BEING SCARED TO DEATH AND SADDLING UP ANYWAY. So understand the courage is one of those things we admire, but few people really possess this, but these four young men possess the courage. And what we're going to find is that this is not just about chapter 1, but as you go through the entire book of Daniel, you find that Daniel and these other three young men are faced with challenges over and over again. But right out of the box, as they enter into Babylon, They express their conviction in such a way that blazes a trail for them to have courage throughout their life there in Babylon. And as we read, Daniel, we're inspired because these men stood for something. They stood for Jehovah God in a culture that just wanted to mix Jehovah with all of these other gods. They said, no, we're going to serve one and only true God, and that's Yahweh, that's Jehovah. I believe today we have the same kind of choices, don't we? Whether it's in school or work, whether it's in our neighborhoods, wherever we are, we're going to bump up against worldviews that don't line up with Scripture. And certainly we ought to speak the truth in love, but even when we speak the truth in love we're not going to be well interpreted, we're going to be misrepresented, misunderstood. And so we need to know what it is to be a person of courage especially in our culture today. And so I want to share with you really three truths to remember as we are in enemy territory. So truth number one is this. In enemy territory, remember whose you are. Verse 7, it says, And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. In Azariah, he called Abednego. Now, we all know those other names. It's interesting that we know Daniel by Daniel, and we know the other ones by their pagan names. But what's happening here is each one of those Hebrew names that they were given at birth all exalted God. Daniel means God is my judge. But when the eunuch gave them the Babylonian name, the Babylonian name that they gave him means Bel, the national pagan god of babylon protects the king and so each one of these young men had good godly jewish names and now they've been given these pagan names and you know as christians we need to understand that the world wants to really change our identity to make us out to be something we're not You know, oftentimes uh, teenagers, college-age kids, sometimes they struggle with identity issues, but understand that God has called us to be Christians, that we are children of God, that we are His adopted children, born again, that we belong to Jesus, that we're even friends of God. When people talk about identity politics, what Saul's identity politics is understand that God has created us, male and female. I think that's very obvious from Scripture, but also we need to understand that He has created us in the image of God, and that if we're born-again Christians, our identity's not wrapped up in what the world has to say about us, it's wrapped up in what God has to say about us. One of the things we need to understand that self-esteem is not really the critical issue, it's God's esteem of us. And his esteem is not based on your performance, or where you were born, or what kind of grades you make, or what kind of money you make at your job. Your identity is wrapped up in the fact that you're born again, you've been chosen and loved by God, He has set His affection on you, you are a friend of God, you belong to God, you are a child of God. And that helps us to make the right decisions in our lives about how we are to live our lives before others. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Now we're called to make Him known. And when we make Him known, guess what? Other people come to faith in Christ and they begin to understand that their identity is that they're a child of God. But as we're living in this culture, we're not only children of God, we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. You know, there's a distinction between a diplomat and an ambassador. Do you know that? A diplomat is someone that is sent to negotiate with the other nation in order to come up with decisions. We've seen a lot of diplomacy in our own government here lately over that debt limit thing going on. There's a lot of deals going on and all that kind of stuff. We call that diplomacy. You may call it something else. I don't know what it is, okay? (laughs) Not trying to get political here. But a diplomat is someone that's willing to negotiate for maybe a greater good, but there's a lot of compromise. An ambassador is someone who represents a greater king. I was reading about George Shultz. You may know that name. It's not the guy who wrote the Peanuts. It's not that cartoonist. George Shultz was was the uh, Secretary of State during the Reagan administration, and he would bring in men and women who were called to be ambassadors. They had been brought in and selected, and they were about to go to the place that they were going to serve, and he had this globe that was sitting in his office and what he would do is he said I want you to go over to the globe and tell me point out where your country is and every time they would go over there and they would point out the country where they were going this is what George Schultz said he said that's the wrong answer you need to never forget that you may be over in that country but your country is the United States you represent us. We are called to be citizens of a greater kingdom. We represent a greater king. We are not first Americans, we are first Christians. And as Christians, he calls us to live a life in such a way that we represent the Lord Jesus Christ, not through compromise, but by representing him as our king. We're not diplomats. We're ambassadors that represent a greater king. It requires courage to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So an ambassador's job is to represent Jesus so that we can introduce others to this king so they can follow the same king that we follow so if you're going to be in a culture where you feel like you're in enemy territory and we are the little g god of this world is satan himself but he is not the king of kings and the lord of lords only Jesus is the king of kings and the lord of lords so as his ambassador in enemy territory we must remember whose we are secondly in enemy territory remember why you're there why you're there God has placed you there. This week we were on vacation with some dear friends, and one of the things that my, one of my best friends said, Scott, he said, listen, this is an exciting day to be a Christian. And he's thinking about the second coming and all the different things that seem to be pointing out that Christ is coming soon. And my response was, yes, it's, it's, it's really an exciting time. Now, there are things that we, we are grieving over. There are things that we look at and we're like, man, this is, this is just a tough time to live as a Christian. But guys, when it, when it gets darker, we just shine brighter. We're not called to just get upset about the way things are going. We are called to be salt and light. We're called to arrest corruption and display the glory of God by shining the light on Jesus Christ. Well, how do we do that? We've got to remember why we're here. I want you to look at verses 8 through 13. It says, but Daniel resolved, I love that word resolved, that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with, wine, with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. He's not going in there and just demanding things. He, he's asking permission here. But he's got a conviction in his heart, and he is resolved to ask, and he anticipates a positive answer. It says in verse 9, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the ewes who are of your own age? so you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days, and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the ewes, the other ones, who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see." So they chose to go public. Now you think, that's a strange thing to go public over, eating vegetables and water rather than food from the king's table and wine from the king's table. Why was that? Well, you know, scholars have all kinds of different ideas about that, but obviously the first thing is the food wasn't kosher. It had not been prepared in the right way according to the law of the Old Testament. Secondly, it was probably sacrificed to idols. And so that was a big no-no for Jewish young men or Jews in general. And some have even said, well, they went vegan because maybe there were parasites in the meat that they were not used to. And I don't know about that one. But what I do know is, I look at this, these men were making decisions when it came to having a conviction for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe what they were really doing is they wanted to honor God in the one way that they could honor God. They couldn't honor God by going to the temple and giving sacrifices at the temple. They couldn't go on these pilgrimages that they were commanded to do three times a year. There were a lot of things they couldn't do, but the one thing they could do is they could stand up and say, we want to eat what we feel like God wants us to eat, and they just made it simple. We want to eat the vegetables, we want to drink the water, and we really don't want to eat what's from the king's table. Of course, that created a problem. It created a problem for the eunuch because what happened is, hey, if you guys, man, if you don't look healthy by the end of all this, I'm the one that's going to be in trouble. And so God had already convinced Daniel, had convicted him in his heart that you are to do this thing in obedience to me and I'm going to take care of you. Have you ever noticed that? When God leads you to do something that we really don't see the answer or the empowerment to do the right thing until we make that decision and we cross the line of that decision to do the right thing. So oftentimes we want God to kind of put everything together so that when we cross that line we have all the assurance in the world that everything's going to be right there for us. The power to do it, the conviction to do it, the opportunity to do it, the resources to do it, and so we never step out. When I hear about your pastor's family and those who are on the mission trip, they chose to step across a line to do something that is not what they do every day, and it's not necessarily entirely dangerous, but they are, they're in another place that is another culture, even though it's a part of the United States. And every time I've gone on a mission trip, and the furthest I ever went was Indonesia, I always knew that it was an opportunity for God to use me and to use others in my life, but I had to put myself in a position to trust God. How long has it been that God put a conviction in your life that cost you something? So I want to tell you, convictions are important. Convictions are those decisions that we make for the Lord. Let me give you a definition. What is a conviction? It is a biblically-based, predetermined, inflexible choice that determines our decisions in the midst of temptations in ever-changing circumstances. That's what convictions are. They're pre-made decisions now we all have convictions we do we have convictions whether we spend a lot of time developing those a lot of those came from how we were raised or or maybe challenges we've gone through and and so what happens is we develop those convictions now i'm going to talk about my by the way my conviction and your conviction might be different but if my if our convictions come directly from scripture it's not a conviction it's a biblical teaching we have no option about that so let's talk about what a conviction might be for me because I I drank a lot in high school and I, all kinds of things in high school, I, I just cannot drink alcohol recreationally. I, can, I can't do it. I can't be around it. And so the fact is I don't mistrust myself so much, but it's become a conviction that that I have in my life, and it's, it's served me very well. Another conviction that, that I try to have is, is that I try not to do certain things on the Lord's day because I want to make sure that that worship is the priority. I want to make sure that, that I'm worshiping the Lord every, every time that, that, that Sunday rolls around, you know. And, and there have been times when, when we had the kids and they were small and, and we would just have a worship service in our hotel room because we didn't know what church to go to. Uh, but oftentimes I find myself in a place of worship, even on Sunday on vacation. We did that last week at Southside in Savannah for those who are dating you really need to create some parameters about what you will and won't do in a dating relationship Um, when i think about my my life I travel a lot and so you I go to a lot of hotels so one of the things I like to do is keep the door open go in and look around in the hotel before the door closes behind me because I just that Billy Graham rule I don't have someone to go with me sometimes Sherry does but because it's during the week she works I work you just have to have convictions okay I don't know what your convictions are, but I think sometimes over time we let convictions slide, and what happens is that gives an inroad for Satan sometimes to hurt our testimony, especially if we know that it's a conviction that God has given us. I want to tell you, media is an important place where you need to have some convictions, some guidelines about what you will not watch, what you will watch, those kind of things. You say, well, that's legalism! The difference between a a conviction and legalism is is when a conviction is personal or family oriented versus that I expected of everybody else and I judge them according to my personal conviction. So I have to be careful with convictions when it comes to how I look at others. Now I've had people come to me and they say, man, I've, I've got an issue with this. And I'll say, okay, you might want to think about building these guardrails around that situation so you don't easily slip into that situation these young men had convictions when we live out our convictions we we honor god we protect ourselves and others we clarify our witness in other words here's a statement convictions tie our hearts to what is eternally important we will not (laughs) we're not going to live past 120 guys One day we will stand before the Lord. We want to make sure that our lives please God. Not so that we would earn our salvation. That is by grace through faith. But God calls us to be people of conviction. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 2, verses 11 through 12. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. We're, We're in a foreign land to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they may they may speak again so that when they speak against you as evil doers they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation so God has called us to refrain from allowing our passions to boil over and to channel those things in the right way. God has given a lot of things to us as gifts, but we've got to channel those gifts in the right direction and for His glory. So when we're in enemy territory, remember, and we are, remember why you're there. And then number three, in enemy territory, remember who to please. We're going to read verses 14 through 20 in just a minute, but let me share with you three rewards from the text given to those who are faithful. Number one, or A, God will empower you. I want you to look at verse 14. He goes on, it says, So he listened to them in this manner and tested them for ten days. And at the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the ewes who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. I love the phrase, fatter in flesh. It's just one of my favorites in the Bible. may not be in the New King James or the New American Standard. I don't know. But it didn't mean that, they, that the body mass index labeled them morbidly obese. That's not what it means. It means that although they were eating this lean diet they were more healthy than the other young men that were there so there was a miracle here that they were just eating fruits vegetables and water the other guys man they were man they were eating from the king's table he must he must have eaten really well but it surprised the eunuch and it was a testimony to the eunuch that God's convictions for their life was working and it gave these young men an opportunity to honor God in first Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30 this is a good one to write down 1st Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30 it says those who honor me I will honor and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed so when we when we choose to remember who to please number one God empowers us secondly God will equip you in verse 17 says, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. We never know what the challenges are going to be in the future, we don't know. We've been married 34 years, we've raised two sons, they're married, we have one grandchild, praise God. But if you were to tell Sherry and I, when we got married, all the challenges we were going to face, whether it was in ministry or in family, financial, there's just all kinds of things that we have faced. But we had convictions. You know, one of the convictions we had, Sherry and I have been doing a budget even before we were married, we were putting that together. We've always done a budget. That's a conviction and a practice that we've always had. I want to tell you, it kept us out of a lot of financial problems. Didn't mean we didn't have financial troubles, but it helped us because it was a conviction. She did the checkbook, and I did the, I did the budget. Don't mean we never argued about money, okay? That's not, that's not the impression I want to give you. But it meant that we understood where we were and i believe when we are faithful god will equip us for future challenges based upon previous obedience to what god led us to do think about daniel in the lion's den if he had caved here i don't know that he would have had victory there think about shadrach meshach and abednego in the fiery furnace do you think they would have had the boldness and the courage to stand up against this pagan king if they had not stood up here so i want to tell you if you're young here today there's some convictions there's some lines that you're willing to cross now that are going to take their toll on your life you may see it as an expression of freedom but honestly, it's an expression of welcoming bondage into your life. It may seem free. It may seem to do something that you're experimenting with, you're doing. But the result's going to be the very thing you experiment with can, can now become your master and you become the slave. Now, friend, that can happen when you're retired, too. So understand those convictions are there, not for you to judge other people, but for you to come under God making pre-made decisions so that you can have victory not only now, but in the future in even bigger opportunities to shine God's glory. In Matthew 25, 23 it says, He who is faithful in a small things, God will place in charge over much and then the last one here is god will elevate you now let me say this this is not this is not a formula because elevation doesn't always happen in this life you read hebrews 11 and you find out a lot of people who are faithful to god were martyred for their faith their reward is great in heaven but there are some general principles that oftentimes god does bring about the effects of those in our life. And and here we see that God did elevate these young men. In verse 18 it says, At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters who were in his kingdom. And they were the wise men in the kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. God elevated them not just to bless them with an important role, great pay and benefits, all of that was there. And you realize that Daniel was elevated even further because of the dreams that he interpreted for the king later on. The reason he was elevated was so that he might have a greater platform for witness. When God can trust you with His glory, oftentimes He elevates the platform of your life to give you an opportunity for witness. He did not put you in the job you're in. He did not give you the grades that you have. And I know you've worked hard for all those things. I'm not saying you didn't work hard, but God gave you the brain and the hands and the eyes and everything else for you to be able to do what you do. And you need to give him glory for it, right? But God didn't put you there just so you made more money or got better grades or got into a good college. He gave you all of those things so that you could have a platform for witness. And the question is are you using this platform for witness in a way that honors God? Because sometimes we get so blessed, we think, well, God must love me and I can just coast. No, you never coast. John Piper wrote a book, Don't Waste Your Life. It's a waste of life if you end up retiring somewhere and you never do anything for the glory of God. God gave you that season to glorify Him, and in every season, you need to find the platform that God wants to use to glorify Himself. There's a book by David and Jason Benham called Living Among Lions, and he made this statement, I love it, trusting God's promises and following God's practices will bring God's promotion. Our lives are lived before an audience of one. There's a Latin phrase, Corum Deo. It means before the face of God. That everything we do is before the face of God for the audience of one. Josh would tell you this. We were not here so that you could enjoy worship primarily. We were here so God would enjoy our worship. Someone came up to the pastor one time said man I man I didn't like I didn't like the worship today and the pastor said we weren't worshiping you anyway so don't don't want to start anything but anyway we got a lot of opinions we need to know what god's opinion is amen and we were blessed this morning god got glory so as we said in the beginning courage is overcoming fear to do what's right In the face of danger and difficulty. This week you may have seen this. There was a valedictorian at a Texas high school, and she gave a three minute speech to 905 students, and there were 10,000 people there. And I want you to see this video.
1: Hi, y'all. It's a privilege to be standing here as valedictorian. Um, I want to congratulate our salutatorian and one of my best friends, Kaylee, and the rest of the top ten on all of your hard work. Now I want to talk to you all about the most important person in my life, Jesus Christ, and how he has changed my life. Before I understood who Jesus is, my life was very confusing to me. On the one hand, I had some really good gifts. Academics and foreign languages came pretty easily to me. I had a great family and awesome friends. On the other hand, things were kind of confusing. The things that I was seeing and hearing in the world didn't make sense. I knew that I was very self-centered, and I struggled to find happiness. But then I learned that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and therefore he is the true king of the human race. Where his rule and reign is allowed, humans thrive. Where he is not allowed to be king, there is brokenness and suffering. But I also learned that he loves me so much, all of us in fact, that he died on the cross in our place and three days later he rose again, paying the penalty for us not allowing him to be king in full. When I changed my mind and I made Jesus the king of my life, he completely changed me. I was filled with a peace and a joy that I had never experienced before. I no longer had a sense of dissatisfaction and restlessness about my life. I started to become measurably less and less self-centered, and the things that I was seeing and hearing in the world started to make sense. In fact, even though winning this contest for valedictorian feels so awesome, it cannot compare to the joy that Jesus has brought into my life. What Jesus has done for me, he does for anyone that accepts him as their personal king. All you have to do is admit that you have not allowed him to be the king of your life. Believe that his death, burial, and resurrection completely pays the penalty for that decision and confess him as your Savior and Lord. I encourage you all to make that decision today. If you want to know more, I invite you to visit my church, Northeast Houston Baptist Church. It's right by our school across the street from Iguana Joe's. Thank you for listening to me today. I hope you remember what I've said to you.
0: Wow! Let's let's give God a hand for this girl. When I watched that video, I said, "You know, she was like Daniel, Hannah, I, Michelle, and Azariah. That she stood for the Lord. She stood up there before 10,000 people. She had never spoke to more than 20 people in sharing her testimony, and she gave a bold witness. We live in enemy territory." We do. Sometimes we focus so much on the enemy, we fail to give God the glory. So what are we supposed to do? You need to remember whose you are. You're an ambassador that represents King Jesus. You need to remember why you're there. You're to be a person of conviction in a world of compromise. And you need to remember who to please. God empowers, equips, and elevates those who honor Him. So here's the opportunity this morning. If you're here today and maybe you've not received Christ the way this valedictorian so masterfully and wonderfully shared with us how to do it, and you need to come and embrace Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'll be standing down front. And if I could have a couple of deacons or leaders that know how to witness, share the gospel, if you could come down here, if you are here today and you need to receive christ such a clear witness we need to give an opportunity so when we stand up i just like a couple of folks maybe a couple of deacon's wives come come with them or maybe you're not a deacon or deacon's wife but you just like sharing the gospel we just need some folks down here maybe maybe you're ready christ loves you he wants you to have a relationship with him he died rose again and we must turn from our sin and put our trust in christ as our savior and lord but there are Christians here today and somewhere you've let some of these convictions slide you put other things before God and today is a day to shore those up to turn from maybe your lack of really honoring God in that way and just coming to him and say God I want to recommit my life to Christ and allow you to do a fresh work in my life today so today is a great opportunity you don't have to do it here you can come I like altars God's done a lot in my life but he's also done a lot in my life as I stood and just allowed him to touch my heart and bring me to a decision of surrender it's all about Jesus let's pray father we thank you so much for this day thank you for your word we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and lead us and lord if there's any here that need to receive christ they would come if there's others who would like to begin the process to join the church they would come and others they just come and just say god i want you to have my whole life and you may need to articulate those particular areas where there's been slippage and now you need to put your feet back on the solid rock of jesus as pastor josh comes and leads us in worship Would you respond in Jesus' name?